sounds of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks. Herald, another edition of Fangraphs Audio. In fact, a Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the editor of Rotographs, Eno Saris. In what follows, Eno and I take a leisurely tour of the world of fantasy baseball. But we begin by commiserating. We begin by commiserating. On Thursday, I had the bad luck of forgetting to roster Marlins right-handed pitcher Josh Johnson, who had an excellent game. While Eno's unable to solve my problem, of course, that's something I should be able to do on my own, I ask him if he's made any similar gaffes, and if so, which sort? We also consider situations from any number of leagues in which uh, either myself or Eno has witnessed other owners behaving badly, which is to say not necessarily breaking any particular rule, but perhaps with some of their maneuvers occupying that very gray area between what is and what is not illegal according to that league's constitution. Eventually, we discuss some actual players, uh, in particular some younger players who've been promoted of late, names like Shelby Miller, Trevor Rosenthal, and Andrew Werner of the San Diego Padres are definitely invoked. This Fangraphs Audio features Rotographs editor Eno Saris, and it begins right now. back on my own time zone is uh, much more difficult. More complicated, yeah. Yeah. Well, we could probe that at a later date. Probe that. Yes. Let's, uh, <laughs> it's nothing to do with baseball. Yay. <laughs> so I actually want to start off with something. We can get to, to the sort of questions that came up during your chat uh, because, of course, every Friday or most Fridays you host a longest chat, a pan fangraphs chat, but I think probably more uh, more fantasy-oriented than anything at the site. Yeah, well, it got pretty weird today. Okay, well, we can get to how weird it got. Um, I want to start off, though, um, by invoking a topic that I think is, does not really call for. It does not have an answer. It's a, it's a, it's a situation that does not necessarily. It seems like it would call for a solution, but it doesn't. It's more of a, a commiseration. Now, and I bring it up because you know, frequently fan, uh, playing fantasy sports. Um, it can have an isolating quality to it. I know for someone like you, you're involved in like 10 leagues or 15 leagues or something like that. And yet, my, my guess is you actually see um, very few of your opponents on any sort of regular basis. Mm. And so while you're talking about fantasy uh, fantasy sports frequently online, you don't have maybe a sort of, sort of casual talk that you might have. And I want to have the kind of casual talk right now. And I want to commiserate. I'm going to invite you to commiserate. Is what I mean to say. Oh, it does uh, so, happen rarely. Yeah. So what happened uh, yesterday? Uh, and this is one of those situations where I I'm going to I, I kicked myself. Right? Is there were some early games yesterday? And uh, I'm sure you understand the bane, uh, the awful the awful burden of the early game because that means you have to set your lineup early. Yeah. Especially exactly. if it's in a daily daily league like our auto new league is. I basically do everything the night before. Okay. Um, well, in fact, I had done it the night before, I guess, but I hadn't known. This is where the difficulty comes in. I had not known or I had neglected to recognize the fact that Josh Johnson was pitching. 
Josh Johnson was pitching. A player, a pitcher, that is, whom I acquired from you. At no no tiny cost. Right. For Matt Moore, which... I can still call which, yeah. $7 I, and, Matt Moore. Yeah. And I think it actually, the trade worked out for both of us. Because I believe Josh Johnson has probably been better since the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Moore probably has more upside, but that was not particularly valuable to me as I'm trying to... Su- trying to um, secure first place. I mean, I, I am in first place. I'm trying to lock down first place. Yeah. Yeah. What I neglected to do, though, um, um, between yesterday and the night before last, was to roster – I don't know what to, um, what the official fantasy term is. I neglected to officially roster or activate maybe Josh Johnson. Activate, put him in the air starting lineup. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, and, and he, he went out – and he had an excellent start. Um, I actually yeah, don't know how many runs he allowed because that's not one of our categories. But I do know that he got uh, he totaled 43 Adenu points in seven innings, which is very good for Adenu because usually a starting pitcher, like a decent starting pitcher, will get four points per inning usually. Um, and yeah. so Josh Johnson ended up getting about six points per inning. That's a very good start. And you and you are you are up on second place by fewer than that amount of points. At this point, yeah, well, sort of because I also I've pay, I think I've thrown thirty less pitches um, or thirty less innings, I should say, than Jackie Moore or Jackie Peanuts, as he's known around the office. Yeah. Um, and so I do have that, but <clears throat> I am trying to make as many starts as possible because I'm right on sort of the threshold of reaching my limit. But you can see how that would be frustrating. Yeah. Now, I don't want this to become – you're probably familiar with uh, the film uh, Why Men Can't Jump. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah, I believe there's a scene there where – I think it's where Rosie Perez – Rosie Perez maybe plays Woody Harrelson's girlfriend. Is that right? Yeah. She says that she doesn't uh, – she has a problem. She doesn't want Woody Harrelson to solve it, though. She just wants him to – Understand? Am I remembering <laughs> remember that, remembering that correctly? Which became basically the entire basis for the book: when are men are from Mars and women are from Venus. So. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. That movie largely <laughs> that book largely informed by why men can't jump. Yes. <laughs> anyway, pleasure. the point is that's that's all I'm saying right now is that I'm not asking because obviously I know what the solution to the problem is. <laughs> I mean, I should have. I or, I mean, either. Your lineups. <laughs> yeah, I study my lineups. I mean, I, or I could go back in time. Not, you know. Oh, that'd be sweet. It would be sweet, but it's probably not the first thing I would do. Kill Hitler, obviously, is the first thing I would do. First thing. <laughs> first thing anyone should do if they have access to a time machine. Go back and kill Hitler. The, uh, the, you know, it's just it's what's weird to me is that. You know, even when you, even when your story about your fantasy team has a little bit more of a constructive point, people like stop listening. You know, they just like they turn off. And I don't, I don't actually, I don't get that because I mean, first of all, I can't stop listening to people's stories about their fantasy teams because it's my job. Yeah. Uh, first, you know, that's the first point. But second, I guess. I think that there's a lot to be learned. I mean, I wrote this post this last week about how uh, I ended up two ties 
short of a playoff spot and Mark Norman didn't leave. And um, how frustrating that was. And, you know, part of the the part of the reason I wrote it is because I did want empathy. Just, you know, I, I wanted, you know, I felt, I felt it was painful. The name of the post was, well, that was painful. It was painful, and I wanted to emote about it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also... I also thought, you know, why not look at this and see what I can learn? And I thought there was, there was like, a couple of, like, real strong lessons. One was, you know, I was out of the playoffs to begin with, and I made a run sort of at third-place team um, that, late. And, you know, I think when you're in a position like that, you don't necessarily need to mortgage your future at all because, you know, that's, that's something that first, second, and third place should be doing, I think, in a way, like, you know, really going for it. <clears throat> but a fourth-place team, you know, maybe you should kind of keep an eye on the future because, you know, these late-season runs are less likely. Um, so I sold Brett Anderson, a, a $1 Brett Anderson, for Woo! a rental. Yeah, for a rental of Dan Heron. And, you know, it's possible that they've been I, I did not <clears> – <throat> I did get Heron for his good start. I saw that it was Seattle and Oakland. I think I got Oakland twice in Seattle. So I've had him for, like, three good starts. But, you know, what's the difference between that and Brett Anderson, who's been at home for, like, three starts? So, you know – Now, what – sorry to sorry to interrupt. What format, though, are we talking about here? Head-to-head, uh, mostly five-by-five. Five. I know that we have OVP on – I think it's, it's a couple extra stats. Um, but it's head to head, and uh, yeah, he could have helped me. Um, and, and and Anderson would be nice to have on my roster for next year. So it definitely was a bad decision, I think. Um, and I wanted to see if people thought it was a bad decision or if it was Fred Anderson is the kind of cost cost of business, you know. Um, so I wanted to see that, and then also I I kept Brian Anderson on my bench all year, and I kept Ryan Howard on my bench for half a year uh, before he was playing again. And we only had, like, a six-man bench. So, basically, I would probably have been in the playoffs if I had cut bait on one of them earlier and had a more dynamic bench. Um, so that's so something you I learned, thought, is, what you, is what you mean to say? I think so. I think, it, I think what I learned was you know, when you're out of the when you're out of the top three or four, you know, if you're if you're sort of on the outside looking in, but you're close, then try to find a way to compete without really mortgaging the future because you're not there yet. Well, and then the other thing is, when you have a short bench, you can take a flyer on an injured player, but you shouldn't take a flyer on two injured players. Probably. You know, I'm going to uh, correct you or amend a, a point you made. Um, you said that that people will shut down or shut off uh, once you start talking about your fantasy team. I think that they shut down or shut off when you start talking about your fantasy team to the extent that they'll shut off or shut down when you talk about yourself, or they'll or they won't shut off um, when you talk about yourself to the extent that you can make what you're saying about them as well, right? I mean that's sort of the secret to stand-up comedy. A lot of stand-up comedians talk in the first person, um, and I know Mike Birbiglia has has sort of spoken to this uh, directly, especially as he's uh, kind of done some advertising for his movie that's out, I think, the Sleepwalk With Me. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can make the story 
if 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 you can allow it uh, allow the person listening the person your interlocutor right uh to yeah. see themselves in the same position then I, I then i don't think it's a problem you just have to create a narrative that makes it interesting enough yeah and i and i try i've i've, I've done a couple of these posts um and they're always you know try to emphasize you know what can we learn from this what what is universal in this experience um and i you know I, you know, judging from the comments, I succeed for some people, and then there are just some people that I just know there's always going to be a cool story, bro. I just know, I feel like no matter how successful I am at doing what you're talking about, there's, there's going to be a cool story, bro, waiting for me. Wait, what is it? Cool story, bro? Yeah. This is a thing people say is like a put-down? Yeah. Oh. Do you know what the genesis of that is? Uh, gosh. I feel like I should know. Should no, we do I, don't, some... I don't think I know off the top of my head. Why would you say? I don't. Know. Yeah. Oh, cool story, bro. Oh, know yeah. your meme. Yeah. Let's do. Well, <clears throat> this is. Uh, we're doing this. Uh, this is called googling the internet while we do this. Oh yeah, they have a site called like Meme Watcher. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, this is from Know Your Meme. In fact, sketchphrase yeah. often seen in image macros as a sarcastic response to a message boards or in comments to posts that are deemed boring, pointless, or too long to read. Uh, similar. Not not dissimilar That's to. It. TLDR. Yeah, I knew it was a forum thing, but I didn't. I, I didn't. I thought there might be a story or something. Well, here it is. <laughs> here it is. You ready? Uh, the phrase "cool story" uses sarcastic response to a narrative was first seen in the 2001 film Zoolander. Uh, oh. actor, yeah, actor <laughs> Owen Wilson's character Hansel tells a long-winded story about a drug-induced hallucination. In response, a background character named Olaf yells out from across the room, "Cool story, Hansel!" while laughing. Yeah, and then of course it, uh, and then it moved to 4chan. Uh, which I don't know much about, but I do know is popular as an th- internet thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. It is, it is uh, often the commented at me uh, whenever I talk mm-hmm. about my issues. But, you know, it is interesting because, I mean, the reason I'm in so many leagues to begin with, um, other than enjoyment, is uh, the fact that I use them to inform my writing, and I use them... As simple as it can be, as simple as oh, I need to write something. Let me open up one of my leagues, or open up all my leagues, and look for an interesting waiver transaction, or look for an interesting problem I'm having, or you know, look at a DI I'm looking at dropping or picking up. You know, that's and and then also you know, each of these, uh, I think that half of them are sort of have an advanced that like OVP or OPS or something in there, and then half of them are sort of traditional five-by-five, five. half of them are head-to-head, half of them are roto, um, slightly more than half are keepers and the other half aren't. So all of these things allow me to kind of stay on top of the different issues that people have, you know, start a, a score sheet lead. This year. I think, um, have you ever, because it seems like maybe taking off of this, you could, uh, <clears throat> when you're talking about your, your fancy team, talk about it mostly in terms of your failures. I think people would respond to that more often because um, typically hearing people brag about their fantasy team, unless they're very good at bragging. <laughs> yeah. um, I did I did do one post for you and not grab or can I brag about this one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that was more tongue-in-cheek for sure. Yeah. Well, I have, uh, I have a very good yeah, fantasy nobody team. Nobody wants right? to hear anybody brag, which is, you know, a lesson you could learn. Right. 
that I could learn? <laughs> no, but I'm very, I'm very good at bragging, though. That's the difference. I have a specific oh, talent for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, okay. No, but uh, so I thought so we did a little commiserating there with regard to Josh Johnson. That's a thing that happens. It's a it's a punch. It's a gut punch for sure. A fantasy gut punch. Uh, mm-hmm. You you forget to to roster your player. It's a thing that happens. Let's spend a mo- we've spent a moment commiserating about it. Uh, we can move on. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. I want to ask you another about another situation, and I'm curious as to whether you've seen anything like this in any of your other fantasy leagues and how you might approach it. Uh, let's just say a friend of mine, right, is in first place in auto new, in an auto new fantasy league. Just a friend, of, a guy that I know. Okay, now he's trying to secure first place, and to do so, uh, recently he's put a couple players up for auction. And what he's uh, what he's found is that another guy in the fantasy league, we'll just call him uh, Sobert Ranchez. The guy's name is <laughs> Sobert Ranchez. Uh, he noticed that every player, my friend, you know, my friend that I have here, every player that he auct- that he puts up for auction, Sobert Ranches, um, will bid and uh, will bid on that auction, um, and because he has more money, will will generally place the highest bid for the player, and then immediately after acquiring the player, will cut him. So, for example, <laughs> recently my friend put up uh, Rick Porcello. Is it Porcello or Porcello? You don't know. Uh, I'm not asking you. Never mind. You don't know these yeah, sorts of things. Definitely not the person. It should be Porcello, but I think it's Porcello. Put up Rick Porcello, who's pitched quite well recently. Um, it seems like he could be had for not that much money. My friend, who's in first place in the Sardinu League, put up Rick Porcello for auction. And then this guy, Sobert Ranches, who's not based on anyone, you know, I mean, it's just, a, just someone. Uh, he uh, won the auction for a dollar more than my friend had bid, and then immediately after winning the auction, cut Rick Porcello. Now, it would seem that he was doing that just to make things difficult for my friend. Doesn't yeah. it? I mean, wouldn't it seem like that? And this is not the first time this happened. In fact, this is maybe the seventh or tenth time this has happened in the last <laughs> yeah, month. I'm looking at I'm looking at this mythical leader uh Waiver wire transaction port right now. And my, my friend's league, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, so what do you think about this type of situation? It is not expressly illegal, but one might call it a dick move. Yeah. Yeah. Many, many dick moves. <laughs> I'm a mo- you're seeing how many that they are in this fictional league that I <laughs> invoked. I think that he started doing it. Wow, he started doing it uh, maybe August 27th. It was a while ago. Now, really what do you think? <laughs> what do you think about that sort of maneuver? I'm I'm curious as to your opinion because so for me, my opinion on this sort of thing is if it's not expressly in the rules that you're not that you can't do it, then you can do it. That's that's how yeah. I feel. I feel like if you yeah. haven't written a rule against it, then it's fair game. It may not be. It, it may it may occupy a. A, a, uh, a gray area so far as sportsmanship is concerned, but it's no, legal right. and, and there's no kvetching about it. But I'm curious as to I'm curious not only if you what you think about this, but if you've seen other similar type mo- uh, moves because you're in a number of leagues. Yeah, I immediately thought of uh, something that I do very often, um, and maybe people hate me for it, but uh, I will keep uh, a, a healthy marginal player. In fact. 
you know, your DL slots. I almost, I always have people in my DL slots, um, and I will keep and I just plug in whoever I think could have some upside when he's healthy, and um, and I'll keep them on there if they're healthy and I'm not sure about their role when they're but they're off the DL. Oh, okay. And this um, is something that the is this usually Yahoo or CBS or is it across all platforms? Yeah, yeah, a lot of of Yahoo. Other platforms, some platforms have found a way to make that illegal and like basically tell you, like Autonew tells you, you can't play another game until you you won't get any stats until you make your your roster correct. Okay, all right. But uh, the loophole in Yahoo is your team goes on and you can make moves within your team, but before you can pick up a player. Uh, from the labor wire, you have to make your roster. Uh, right, so you can at least get say three or four games or something, and something like this. I, you know, I've gotten I've gotten longer than that. Uh, you know, a lot of my teams are keeper leagues and dynasty leagues, and, and you know, there's a little bit less waiver wire work in those in those leagues. So, um, I don't know. I just I I had Lance Berkman. In a, in a non in a non keeper league, I had Lance Berkman on my DL for a while because I wanted to see how they were using him. Um, and that one, I think, went probably like four or five days before I decided that I had to make my roster correct and move on. Right now, this is not an expressly illegal maneuver, though. No, but it does it does anger people. It no have you have you been uh, approached actually? Uh, with regard to that? Never in my league. I mean, for the most part, I'm playing other writers, so I think that writers in particular have uh, sort of, they believe that you've found a loophole in your gaming system in a way. They're, they're less likely to hold it against you than maybe someone who just wants to play and finds it unfortunate, Mike, and, you know, in which case I would say make a rule. Right, and, that, and that's it. That's it, make a rule. That's Right, that's what we'd say. Now, do you, can you think of anything offhand that would constitute a move or, or something you've come across uh, in the many leagues that you've, you know, you've, in which you've participated or on which you've commented, maybe readers, listeners are in a league like this, something where you feel like, where you feel like even though it was not expressly covered by the rules, um, might, might be considered illegal? Yeah, um, <clears throat> someone just asked me about this too. You know, you can change um, certain settings uh, in certain on certain uh, platforms until certain moments. You can, I think, you can change the trade deadline if you're before the trade deadline. You can make it later, um, and I think you can change uh, some playoff things uh, before the playoffs happen. So, uh, someone asked me, "Oh crap, I'm in this." Uh, 12-team league, and I meant to have six people in the playoff, and I and I actually said four, and I can change it, but um, I probably shouldn't. And I said, yeah, because the, the sort of number one rule in fantasy is no rule changes in season. Right. And I think <clears throat> I think that's enough of one, especially because when you change something like that, you're changing something for everybody in the league. When I'm doing something on my DL, it's something I might get a <clears throat> might get a couple extra at bats out of a run or two. It's a way that I'm sort of gaming the rules and I'm working with my own roster. But if I'm if if I did something that was like or affected all twelve teams in the league, 
in the sort of monolithic way, I think then you can call upon the sort of accepted, you know, basic fundamental rules of fantasy, of which one is no no changes in season. Right, because because I guess more than anything, and this is true for all games, is that games are really only as, um, in a certain point, the, the pleasure that you derive from them is dependent on, the, I guess, the sanctity of the rules. And if you change the rules, like if in soccer, for example, I might have invoked this elsewhere on the podcast. I apologize if so. But like in soccer, if like you're in the middle of the game and then all of a sudden you called that when the ball goes out past the you know past the uh, end line that it wasn't out of bounds, right? Then you like if you just call that in the middle of the game, then it makes the game no fun, right? Because this whole for, <laughs> up till that point you've been avoiding doing that. And that's a constraint that has informed the game up till that point. And then if, yeah. if a person just takes it upon himself to say, "Oh no, no, that's not illegal anymore," or you know, that doesn't uh, give possession away, then you've changed. Especially if, say, that person is uh, has the shorter team and and you know has a disadvantage on corners and and has therefore you know lobbied for this change in rules because it makes it gives them an advantage. You know, it's like you know. Oh look, I've got a bunch of sluggers, you know, high OBPs on my league. Hey, I meant to put OBP as a category, didn't I? Yeah. Now let me ask you: Have you seen these sorts of situations in leagues where, in leagues where money is at stake, or where something you know, like or sort of in industry type leagues, or is this more like home home style leagues? This is a little bit more home style because I mean, if, if there's a because. Like a rule change or something like that's definitely not going to happen in a, in a in a money league. I mean, any any little thing becomes magnified, you know, and becomes a really big deal. Right, and, and I you was know, assu- anytime, yeah, yeah. I was assuming it, it, it for an industry league too, where at a certain level, your kind of like the ability to trade off your name is compromised, right? If you like, if it hurts you in that, like if you finish last place in every industry type league. That doesn't look very good. Yeah. 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 Um, and if somehow you're the victim of a rule change, that would that would seem to hurt. Yeah, I gotta win one of these things. <laughs> I could just uh, <laughs> you're saying that I can imagine you looking uh, <clears throat> forlornly at you at all of your rosters at once. This is not uh, this has not been my best year. I'm definitely going to have to cut back a little bit next year. I, I definitely can see where I got into trouble a little bit in some of my leagues. Was it systemic? Um, Was it systemic, you know? I mean, at a certain level, did you... Uh, I just didn't... I didn't make enough trades. I didn't... I didn't... Because a trade, I think, is one of the hardest things in fantasy. you got to sit down. And some people treat it as an easy thing, and they just fire off offers. But, you know... Those aren't likely going to be met with great responses, I think. I mean, the best trade is you sit down, you get to know your entire leaderboard as it stands, and then you look at, you know, which teams are actually going to be buyers, and then you find where they might actually have a little bit of a surplus, and you really sort of examine at least half your league's rosters, and then you you really try to be open-minded about, you know, what might be an asset for them and what might be an asset for you, and you know, so it's a very, it's, it can be time consuming. And when you have 15 leagues, you're sort of like just like, you know, you're basically setting lineups and, you know, not not really 
spending that beefy time in there. So right now, yeah, and that's, gonna, the, that's probably going to win. Like, yeah. Well, I was going to say that's the one thing that that's the one thing where you, with a trade, right? You know, I mean, you could um, you can go about waiver wire pickups and drops. Um, that's sort of in that case, you're sort of insulated from the particulars of your league. I mean, you're still paying attention to the scoring system, but generally speaking, a scoring system is going to uh, favor a good player and is going to, um, you know, not favor a bad player, generally speaking, right? Yeah. So when you're doing waiver-wired pickups, when you're doing, you know, typically when you're doing your draft or your auction, you're sort of insulated from the particulars of your league or the particular opponents in your league. Also, yeah, that's, yeah, like I... Yeah, like I have to go check now to see who's winning some of these leagues. Right, but when it actually, but when it comes to trades, you have to evaluate not only um, the uh, the other rosters in your league and the strengths and weaknesses of those rosters, but also the people who own or you know are in control of those rosters. Sure, and because that, that happens a little bit more in Ryder League, where you can you really know what they like and dislike, and you can even find them on record about that. Right, or if you know the people, like so, for example, you and I know, uh, just within the, uh, you and I are in a league together, and we know that some people are more willing to trade. You, you also know the people in your league who just who've maybe given up and aren't going to check emails about it, and so you know you have that that sort of sense. But no, no, I'm not calling out anyone in particular, but I think it's generally the case that it's easier to make a trade with someone who's available. Who, Who's yeah? Who's like maybe in the top six in the league? Like has a you know top half of the league, or sure. is maybe like dead last and it's just like sure I'll make a trade because I know I'm rebuilding. And maybe yeah. would, maybe doesn't even really look at the the parameters of the trade. You know they're just like all right fine like I, I'm getting a young player that's all those, I care those about. Players are young yeah. <laughs> right yeah you yeah. You know what I found though? What I found um, well so just on this point what I found this year is I'm, I'm going to win. Uh, two or three leagues, um, so it's not going to be a dry, completely dry year. That would be really upsetting. Um, but uh, and I'm not. I, I'm only going to have. I think uh, I'm only going to have one team that's in the bottom half of any of my leagues. So I did manage to service my teams. You know, I, I, I stay on top of them, and that's sort of what happens. I think that's what happens when you have too many teams and you're not enough time. Is that you? If you do devote the time, you still are sort of, quote-unquote, above the placement level or above average, and you can still stay in the top half. But to really win a league, it takes probably great waiver wire work plus a good trade or two. Um, especially in a keeper league, in a dynasty league like Alanya, you really you do need to sell uh, a little bit of youth, I think, to win any, any year in year. So, um, you know, to not have that little extra component of, like I'm saying, the BP time of the, of like really looking for good matchups. So, you know, and then also to be in that spot, especially in Keeper League, to be in like a 6-7 spot is a really difficult place to be um, in terms of selling and buying. And that's where I found myself in, in our league. Um, and, you know, I did, a, I did a bunch of trades and got rid of all my overpriced guys. Um, so I feel good about that. But what I found was I would do a trade where I traded away, for example, like a $56 choice for the whiskey, a guy that I wasn't going to keep. Um, and then I would get a couple of young players back 
what I found now is that now when I look up and down my roster, I love some of the young players I've added. Addison Russell, Daniel Duffy, um, you know, Jorge Soler, uh, Puig. I don't know how to say his name. Yeah, Yasmil. You, Yasmil Yas, yeah, yeah, fine. Let's not. I, right. Yeah, I, I got a you. lot of the Cuban guys because I thought they might be closer to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, Andrew Kashner, Tyler Skagg. So I, I feel like I've got some interesting young players that are on the cusp that are really close. Billy Hamilton. You know, these are players that I'm excited about. But when I look at my team, I don't see, I see like three or four cuts, right? And that means that next year in the auction, I only have like four roster slots. And yet, my team costs three hundred dollars, so I don't know. It's 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 okay at three hundred dollars. If somebody asked me in the chat today, "Oh, I have two hundred dollars on my team next year. Am I really going to find two hundred dollars of the players on the on the uh, auction block next year?" And I'm thinking, no. So I feel okay at three hundred. I can have like a fifty dollar player, and then you know a couple sleepers, and then I'm done. So auction's going to be really short for me next year. But well, I mean, yeah, I, if you have that my much. My roster is getting sort of prospect heavy, you know, and, and I need to, I maybe need to actually make a weird trade where even though I'm in sixth place and might be rebuilding a little bit, I actually trade away a couple prospects for a young player or something. Right, yeah. I mean, if you, if you, yeah, if you have that much money left over, you can go big on some guys and, you know, maybe if you do find yourself within contention at the end of the, I think it's actually not a bad place to be at all. Um, especially yeah. entering the off season to be prospect heavy, because immediately you could become, you know, you you know you could trade away those prospects over the off season and get some high end talent. There is something they said for everyone: the eternal optimism of going into the season. So going into next season, you know, everyone's going to think they have a chance. I mean, maybe not everyone, but my, you know, probably more people than actually have a chance will think they have a chance, and so therefore my prospects are best used in season when I'm competitive and can turn them into a veteran, you know, a good veteran. And I think they'll be less useful to me in the off season when someone says, well, why should I take prospects now? I'm, I'm thinking about 2012 is going to be a big year for me. Or 2013, sorry. Yeah, 2012 is uh, basically done, you know. <laughs> uh, so is this episode of the podcast, which actually I've enjoyed. Uh, I think maybe... Um, a discussion at a slightly more theoretical level of uh, of uh, fantasy stuff. I, you know, because there, there you can go through and frequently we have um, on these these fantasy editions and said, you know, let's look at this player, what's his value? Let's look at this player, what's his value? Let's look at, you know, kind of in a in a serial fashion. Uh, there are a lot of things, though. I think little corners uh, of um, of the fantasy version of the sport. Where you know maybe we we have the same experience all of us, but it's just something that we don't you know think to think to discuss. You know, like um, like those sort of like the situation of the, that gray area in rule breaking. You know, like we mentioned. Right, um, and I hmm. think a lot of people will find some of the keeper discussions interesting just on a general theoretical level because they'll be entering those phases in their teams pretty soon. You know. One thing I do want to ask about that does have a little bit more to do with specific players, we'll, we'll finish after this, is um, the significance of roster expansion, September roster expansion. It's really interesting. It's a very interesting time of year because you get a situation where you have a lot of young players who are being recalled and getting real playing time. Some of them will also be getting real playing time in April. Some of them won't be. 
Um, so especially in um, keeper leagues, uh, you know, especially in keeper leagues, there's a great deal of incentive to pick up the ones who are playing now and later. There's probably less incentive, but some incentive to pick up players who'll be playing now, but maybe not again till next June, you know, something like that. But I'm curious as to as to your thoughts on some of the players that have been called up of late, and who are some of your interesting, uh, you know, your your mo- the most interesting are uh, for you. Like I could give you a couple names that have been on my mind. Maybe one of these interests you. Maybe you got a different name. Some guys that have interested me of late: Trevor yeah. Rosenthal, now pitching in relief for the Cardinals, uh, but starting at AAA has a, like a 98 mile per hour fastball. Shelby Miller, almost same description, except much more high-profile prospect. Kyle McPherson, uh, basically same description, except less stuff than either of those two guys. And then um, we'll say Andrew Werner was playing an indie ball, I think, like this time last year, and is now seemingly established a spot in the starting rotation for the Padres. Feel free to choose one of those guys. Maybe there's someone else interests you more. Well, uh, something that you can say in sort of a general fashion about all these guys is um, that, for the most part, the starters that are coming up uh, are coming up against um, innings limits and will therefore be relievers. And so one of the best things that you can get out of this time is actually the starter-eligible reliever. Um, and uh, that's, you know, that's prob- I think that's what I saw some of your friends uh, block uh, pickups were, were some starter eligible relievers you could plug in there for high, uh, sort of high value innings in terms of strikeouts. I mean, Miller's, Miller's a perfect example that came in for what, two innings or something and had five strikeouts and. Yeah, well, four strikeouts. Million. I mean, he had a great, uh, he had a great run. He got a bunch of swings and misses on his fastball. Looked very good. Yeah, and if he, if he can, if they start trusting him, the, the problem is that the better teams won't necessarily trust these guys for holds um, in holds leagues. But you know, if you have three or four starter eligible relievers sitting there trying to get you a hold, if they get you one or two holds a week, um, then that's you know that can be enough to win the category in some leagues. So uh, I think that's what the biggest boon is uh, because honestly, you know, it's hard to find the the star September call up that's. It's, uh, you know, pinch runners, defensive replacements, uh, bullpen, extra bullpen guys. It's not necessarily like, oh, we're going to plug this guy in and he's going to start. Um, even on the, even on the uh, teams that are out of contention, I mean, Will Myers isn't up yet. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he's not taking away uh, Frenchie's job just yet. So, you know, Leon, Leonis Martin is an interesting player um, who I think, is, I think it's very. I think he's really interesting because he obviously has tools. He's he has speed and power, and he's done. He's had great seasons in in hitters' ballparks, and then he's sprinkled in some terrible seasons, really, in the minor leagues. Um, and so I think that there is a real open question about how much power he has, and even how much speed he has. But um, he's, you know, he's, we're not going to learn much more in the minor leagues, and that team could use a legitimate center fielder, I think, because putting Murphy in center and putting Hamilton in center is something you can do to get offense, but it's not uh, not an ongoing solution. So I'm watching him. Um, 
Thomas Neal is interesting just because Cleveland has uh, you know serious need for offense. Uh, so there's another name for it. Uh, a player that should be interesting is Jerickson Profar. Um, yeah, I just don't, I just don't see. You know, that's a that's a team, that's a juggernaut team. That's, you know, obviously Ron Washington likes Michael Young on some level, and um, you know, I don't think. Also, Michael Young has like a big contract left. If this was next year, um, and the same thing was happening, I would say, okay, it's time. Young, the end of Young's contract is approaching. He's been terrible for X amount of days, weeks, years. And, uh, you know, it's time to put Profar in there and, you know, thank Michael for his service. Right. But uh, Michael Young still has at least next year on his contract. Um, and so, therefore, I don't think uh, – I think there's more even. So, I, I don't think it's happening now. Um, they might – you know, look at Mike Olds. Mike Olds has been up. He's exciting. He's getting – you know, every other start at first base against left-handers, and that's the most you can really hope for Profar is some sort of every other platoon, second base, helping out when Kinsler's neck hurts or something. Yeah, yeah, may- maybe. I mean, Michael Young has made uh, two starts at shortstop um, since Profar has been with the team, so that's a thing that's happened. Uh, unfortunate thing that's happened. Anyway, hey, listen, you know, uh, it's been nice talking to you. Yeah, um, do it again. Yeah, sorry, I, sorry to bump you last week for my grandfather. Oh, you know, I that was a, that was a tough day for me. Yep, I understand. Well, you got to deal with uh, adversity of all sorts. That's how life <laughs> is. I that was a great podcast, Carson. That was that was really uh, that was fun, and I would thank him for for doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone mentioned uh, on Twitter said uh, that was a. Um, your grandfather was excellent on the podcast, and I, I said, uh, I, you know, I would tell him that, but I don't think he'd be surprised. <laughs> he's got a lot of self confidence. Yeah, he's got, he's pretty confident about himself. He gave me so much uh, advice. It's amazing. This, he's just full of advice I mean, all the things I've done wrong, constantly <laughs> doing wrong. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks you. That's Nino Saris, editor of Fangraphs, uh, in particular the editor of uh, Rotographs. Fantasy, fantasy portion of, of the Fangraphs umbrella. Under the Fangraphs umbrella, it is the fantasy part, the fantasy arm. I should say it's the fantasy arm. It's a fantasy arm. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, very Perfect. good. All right. I'm still on something <laughs> called Delsim, which is a NyQuil substitute. <laughs> I'm entirely what I'm doing. That's Edo Saris. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio, Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>